Yeah, just as we transition from Bible study uh, to the sharing of the word, I would just love to take a moment and pray. Prayer, prayer, prayer. We're just all about it. So would you join me in praying? God, I just want to thank you for today, this opportunity to be together. God, I thank you for each person here and just the blessing that they've been to this church and to myself and my family. Holy Spirit, as I share from your word today, I ask that you would be with me, that I would be able to clearly articulate um, just what I feel like you taught me this week through your word, and, and hopefully, well, I know, Holy Spirit, that you have the ability to make it applicable to each of us here, um, that as much as you want to speak to us as a group, um, you also speak to us as individuals. And I just love that um, diversity that we have in you, God. Yeah, would you give us ears to hear what you have to say? We were just reading about how there were people that had closed eyes and closed ears, and they weren't receptive to the things that you were trying to teach them. Um, I pray the opposite for us, God, that we would have open ears and eyes, open eyes or eyes to see who you are, what you're doing in our lives, what you're doing in the lives of people around us, how you want us to partner with you, and um, of course to be people of the kingdom of God. We want to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, and we know that you want us to be participants in that. So speak to us and show us what that means. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So for those who receive our text messages, I sent out a poll this week, and um, the question was, how would you currently describe your relationship with God? And I gave three options. Um, the first one was weary, burnout, fatigue. The second option was refreshing, energizing, and then the third was other. And I, kind, and I said as I sent it out, you know, if you choose other, I'll be in touch, just to you know, get a little bit more context to what that means. And honestly, the reason other was on the list was because I felt like that was my choice. That would be the one that I would choose if I was answering the poll. I mean, I did answer the poll, but... Um, and the reason that I would put other is because when I look at like the big picture of everything, I would say, for the most part, my answer is the second option, that my relationship with God is refreshing and energizing, but because of life circumstances and just different things that I've been experiencing lately, um, there is a part of my spirit right now that is feeling weary or burnout or fatigue and as much as I want um, to do what I am here in Boston to do, and as much as uh, I want to be obedient to everything that God is asking me to be and do for him, um, it's the opposition and the hardship that we've been facing has been draining. It has been hard for me. But um, yeah, so that's just kind of where I'm at with things. For the most part, things are going well, but... 
Um, and when I sent out the poll, um, we had seven responses, and I'm excited that six people said that they are currently finding their relationship with God to be refreshing and energizing, so we celebrate that. Um, we had one person respond and say, weary, tired, and burnout. But just a little caveat, and uh, laughed about this a little bit this week, is people are quick to respond when things are going well, but always a little bit slower to uh, give a response when it doesn't look favorable or like they're in a great place. So what the poll, the reason I sent out the poll was just to get an idea of where people were in their relationship with God. But I think ultimately what I found from it is just that it really depends on the moment <laughs> that you're in sometimes, how you're going to answer a poll like that about how your relationship with God is. And um, so yeah, we're going to look in God's word together this morning and just see um, what to do depending on where we are in our relationship with God at the moment and, and how we are meant to respond. So we're going to be looking in Isaiah 40, 43, 22 to 26, but just to kind of bring us up to speed before we start to look at that, um, the context of what we're looking at is, um, so Israel is exiled. They have been removed from the promised land because... Um, yeah, just the relationship with God isn't where it's supposed to be, and and they were bra they broke the covenant, they broke the promises that they made to God. So he had to respond because he said, "You'll be here as long as you fulfill the covenant," and they weren't doing that. And so then we see Assyria trying to evade invade Judah, and it's been interesting the last little bit here because we know that Judah is going to be exiled, but. Um, they still have King Hezekiah running the nation, and he is a king that's after God's heart. So um, it's interesting because we see um, Assyria trying to attack and invade Judah, and they have done that successfully in, um, in Israel. And so they're kind of... Uh, I don't know if the word I'm thinking is appropriate to say. They're kind of prideful. They're puffed up because they have successfully invaded one of the countries that God is supposedly, you know, ruling over, the God of that area. So um, their king comes with a big army. And so, you know, Judah's freaking out because they're about to be invaded by Assyria. But then we see Isaiah and Hezekiah come together and, and pray. They are interceding for the nation of Judah. And it's so interesting how God responds. He responds by sending one angel, and that angel goes and kills most of Assyria's army. So they have to um, retreat because they're all dead. But there's no human intervention in this. It's just God using his angels to protect his people. And then we see that Hezekiah is supposed to die. He gets a word from Isaiah, and Hezekiah is just distraught. He's so upset because he doesn't feel like his time is done yet. So he prays, and God decides to give him 15 more years. So what's pretty cool about this is that God hears our prayers, and he responds to them. He had a plan, but he shifted that plan because of how Hezekiah prayed. But then we see like this weird turn in the story, which is the introduction of the Babylonians. 
into Israel and Judah's history. So the king of um, Babylon comes down, and Hezekiah is um, showing off all of his goods. Like, he's just, like, showing off all the wealth and everything that God has given him. And Isaiah is warning him, saying, like, you shouldn't be doing this. Like, you shouldn't be showing, you know, the king of Babylon all that the Lord has given you. But Hezekiah doesn't listen and essentially, like, leads to the big warning, which is that exile is coming because Hezekiah is not listening. So we pick up in Isaiah 43, 22, and we're just going to look and see why exile is coming. Travis, can you get that up for us? Yep, that's it. So he says, but Jacob, you have not called on me because Israel, you have become weary of me. We're not on 23 quite yet. So this is the why. This is why exile is coming. And God is saying it's because um, his people have stopped crying out to him and they have become weary of him. They've become tired of him. But we can put up 23 now, Travis. He said, you have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with incense. So it's gotten to the point with Judah that they aren't even worshiping God anymore. They've stopped seeking God for atonement. And atonement is this theological word that just means um, basically like forgiveness of sins. And atonement happened through the sacrificial system. So, you know, sin entered, God reclaimed his people from, is or from Egypt, and he set up the sacrificial system as a way for right relationship and reconciliation with God. But there's something, he didn't just do it so that there were steps they had to follow. Everything that is a part of the sacrificial, sacrificial system has symbol to it. And so when they bring their sacrifices to God, they are doing what is called an act of atonement. So they would bring their sacrifice to the priest. The priest would kill um, the sacrifice, drain it of its blood, but then also they would take that blood and they would sprinkle it um, on the mercy seat, is what they called it. And it was a part of um, it was a part of the temple, a part of their worship system. And so uh, God is saying through Isaiah, you're like you're no longer atoning for your sins anymore. Like you're just continuing to sin and sin, but you're not doing anything to be forgiven of it. And again, the sacrificial system was their means of reconciliation with God. So they were sinning against him, but they weren't taking the actions to make their relationship right with him again. And what is ironic is scripture tells us that without God's presence in our life, we actually like hate him. That there is something um, born within us um, the, the kind of original sin that, that we experience because of the fall, that when we are uh, sinners, we're in opposition with God. We hate him. And so what we're seeing with uh, the group of the Israelites is because the sin is happening but not being atoned for, it's actually leading them to be tired of God. It says they're weary of him. And what we see in the scripture too Actually, Travis, do you want to go back to it and just leave it up? Because there's quite a lot in it. So he says, I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with incense. 
So what God is saying is he doesn't cause them to worship him. That's never been his MO, right? Like God has never forced people to worship them. And I, I've had conversations with people along the way, and they're like, man, I wish like once I became a Christian, like I almost just like turn into a robot. <laughs> because <laughs> once we are in relationship with God, we realize how the way that we acted before and the sin in our life, how it affects us and how it affects our relationship with him. But God doesn't want us to be robots. He doesn't want us to just blindly um, participate and, and react to the world. He wants us to be fully ourselves, fully who he intended us to be. And when we choose to worship him, when we choose to give our lives to him, it has a greater impact than, you know, if you were forced to be in relationship with him. Nobody wants to be in a relationship that they're forced to be in. So he's saying, okay, you are weary of me. You're getting tired of me, is what the word is saying. But he's saying, I'm not making you be tired of me. Like, you're becoming tired of me because you have stopped worshiping me. You've stopped seeking me for, for forgiveness and, and atonement and life. So let's go to the next verse there, Trav. He says, you have not brought, bought me aromatic cane with silver or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. So he's saying, I haven't burdened you, but you have burdened me. So to burden somebody, if we look uh, behind the, the meaning of this Hebrew word, it means to weigh down a physiological feature with a onerous or difficult concern. So what God is saying is, okay, Judah, okay, Israel, you have stopped coming to me for the forgiveness of your sins. And because you're still sinning, um, the burden of that sin just keeps getting put on me. Like, you are weighing me down. You are making, you're putting this difficult concern on me because I want relationship with you, I want to be reconciled with you, but you're not doing what you need to do. You're not you know, meeting your part of the covenant in order for us to have right relationship. And so he is, in a way, crying out to them and saying, come on, guys, like, just participate in this with me. Do what I'm asking you to do so that I don't have the weight and concern of your sin on me. And what he's saying here is that they've made him tired because of their sin. So often, like, when we put these, like, characteristics or things on God, the, uh, my first thought is, like, well, God's never tired. You know, God, God is God, you know. He's not ruled by his emotions and, you know, things like, which are all true, right? Like, God doesn't sleep. Like, he's the creator of the universe. He's always, he's omnipresent, you know, he's omnipotent, all these big words saying that. Like, he's all-powerful. He's everywhere all at once, you know. But psychologically, the, the thing he is feeling when his people are not participating in this covenant the way that he has let it out to be is he is tired because he is going through this cycle with his people over and over again, and the result continues to be sin. And he's just saying, you've made me tired. He says, I've provided you this system of reconciliation, but you keep disregarding it. You know, I'm giving you the way, but you just keep 
doing your own thing. All right, Trav, let's go to the next verse. So he says, I am the one. I sweep away your transgressions for my own sake and remember your sins no more. Remind me, let's argue the case together. Recount the facts so that you may be vindicated. So again, he's saying, my desire is that we would be reconciled, that we would be in relationship. And if you look behind the, the word sweep away in the Hebrew, it actually means to destroy or blot out. So he's saying, you know the sin thing that we're talking about? Like, I want to annihilate it from your life. Like, I want it to be completely swept away, gone, so that it's no longer an issue in our relationship. Like, he's done with it. He blots it out. He gets it. He destroys it. But again, we've been kind of saying the same thing in every sermon <laughs> for the last couple of weeks because we are in this part of scripture where we're seeing that the old covenant is not working for God's people. We have Israel that's already exiled. We see Judah is about to be exiled to Babylon. It is not working for them. So the question is, if it's not working, what happens? And we're going to look at uh, Hebrews 10, verses 8 to 10. So this is um, talking about going from the old covenant to the new. So after he says above, you did not desire or delight in sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. He then says, see, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. So that word sanctified, that's another like deep theological word that we try as best as we can to understand. And what it means is consecration, which is another kind of weird word, which just means like we are fully giving ourselves over to God. So as we work through this process of sanctification, we're saying, Holy Spirit, I want you to have room in my life. I want you to be able to come into my, to my life, and I want you to empower me. I want you to influence me to do things the way that God would want them done. So we are being consecrated, and we're moving towards holiness. And there's so much that we can say about holiness. And there's, you know, through different denominations and theology, what holiness means for us as human has, you know, been debated for a really long time. But for me, in its simplest form, when we are saying that we are holy, it means that we're alive in Christ. So as we're allowing the Holy Spirit to have influence in our life, it is waking us up to life as it was meant to be in relationship with God. And the cool thing is, you know, back in the old covenant, God is saying, you've no longer, like, you've stopped coming to me with your sacrifices. You've stopped atoning for your sins. But now atonement is accomplished by the work of Jesus. So it's no longer that we have to bring these animal sacrifices because, as the scripture said, the old has passed away and the new has come. And that is life through Jesus and the work that he did on the, on the cross. He is now our atonement. But the thing is, in both covenants, we can still become weary. We can still 
be tired of God. So let's look at Galatians 6, 9. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Oh, there's... Oh, okay, right. Yeah, go right into that, Travis. So the question is, like, how do we not get tired of doing good, right? We have this command to not get tired, but how do we do that? And so we're going to look at Philippians 2, 5 to 16. So we are to adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, of God the Father. So this is the part I want us to kind of look at. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world. By holding firm to the word of life, then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or label, labor for nothing. So the, the thing that I really want us to focus on is he's saying, we will accomplish all of that, all that he said in that verse, by holding firm to the word of life. So if we look at the Greek, holding fast means to stick to firmly. And it goes back to what we were reading in Isaiah. The thing that they stopped doing was that they stopped crying out to the Lord. So for us, to stick firmly to God means to not stop pursuing him, not to stop being in relationship with him, to cry out to him when we need him. And it's interesting, another way to translate this is to hold forward. So it's not saying, you know, cling to God yesterday, or even cling to God today. It is saying it's future-focused. There are going to be things in our futures that are going to tempt us to let go of our relationship with God. But it's saying, hold towards the future. And it's, it's like um, when we are facing unknown things, right? At least for me, my temptation is to withdraw and kind of overthink everything and come up with worst case scenarios in my mind. But what the scripture is saying here is when there's an unknown thing we're facing in the future, we are, we, instead of retreating and letting those thoughts go kind of crazy in our mind, we have to hold toward God. We have to make that movement towards him and say, 
I don't know what the outcome is going to be in this scenario, but I'm going to, to stick with Christ in this. I'm going to allow the faith and trust that I have in him at this time, even if it's not enough for my current hardship, I'm going to choose to stick with him anyway. So holding fast to him is him working in us according to his good purpose. And that means to do his will. So often the conversation I have with people is, I, I don't necessarily want to do the things that God is asking me to do. I, within myself, cannot come up with the willpower to not sin or to be obedient or whatever, fill in the blank. But what the scripture is saying is that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is not to have the willpower to overcome sin or to want to do God's will. Our responsibility is to stick with God, to cling to him in all things. So going back to that Isaiah passage, will we sometimes commit acts of sin? Yes. But the response should not be to withdraw and hide and overthink things in our own mind. Our response is to cry out to God because he sent us Jesus to be our atonement. If he didn't think we were going to sin, he wouldn't have done that. It was not a fun thing for Jesus when he took on the cross. He, but when he did take on the cross, that burden that God said he was feeling for his people's sin, that was transferred to Jesus. That was given to him on the cross. And again, like we were saying that once and for all, the sin of the world was put on him and destroyed, right? God said, I want to sweep it all away. I want to destroy it. And he did that and accomplished it through Jesus. And now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we no longer have to sin when we have said yes to relationship with God, but the, the system is set, it's in place, Jesus accomplished the system in the new covenant that when we do, if we cry out to him, then he will work, he'll continue to work within us to reconcile us back to God, and again, to work within us the will to want to do the good purposes that God has put us here for. So I've already said that I can get weary when things are tough and there's unknowns in the future. But the thing is, like, again, that to hold forward is forward future movement. So in this moment, I may not feel like, like when I think, oh, my what's my relationship with God like? I might say tired. I might say I'm feeling weary. I may say, ooh, like I'm, I, I have said the last little while, I don't know how much longer I can do this. But I am holding, I'm choosing in those moments to stick to Jesus Amen. and say, okay, I'm holding toward something else. And God, as I do that, I'm expecting you to work within me the will to do your good purposes and to be here and to do this. So in hard things, we need to choose. We have a choice. Again, we can withdraw. We can do our own thing. We can look to other vices to, to you know, process our pain or our frustration. But we also have this choice to hold firm to Jesus. And that's what the scripture is telling us to do. Because every time we do that, we are moving closer to God. We are saying, your relationship with me is my top priority and even though life is crazy and nothing is making sense, I'm choosing to believe 
that your word is true and that my experiences that I've had with you have been genuine and real and are going to carry me toward, <laughs> are gonna keep me going forward. But it can go the other way. When we're in a hard place, we can choose not to cry out to, to Jesus. We can choose to try to figure things out in our own way. But what that is actually doing is withdrawing us from our relationship with God. And eventually, over time, we're going to be tired because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that when we are in relationship with him, wellsprings of life will flow through us. So we should be uh, energized. We should be revitalized. We should have energy in our life because of our relationship with God. But if we choose not to pursue that, we will get tired, we will get weary, and because of the sin that will come out of that, we'll project the hard stuff onto God, and it will make us tired of him. But in all reality, he's, he's here, he's close to us, and he wants us, but we are choosing a different way. And the thing is, things may not make sense in the moment, but the scripture tells us it's on God to work it out. Whatever hardship we're facing, we have to say, okay. And the thing is, we have to know who God is. We have to be in his word and read about who he is so that when we're faced in these hardships, we can recollect. We can go back to what we know about God through the scriptures and say, okay, he may not have told me exactly what to do in this kind of scenario, but I know his character and I know how he would respond and how he would want his people to respond. So we trust that and we give our burdens to him and we expect him to work it out in us so we stick with him and he is the one who works on it so the question that i have today to, to process this is which covenant are you currently operating in which covenant are you operating in is it the old covenant which the book of hebrews which we referenced today it says that the, the old covenant could not perfect the worship, worshiper's conscience. The old system, everything that we see from the Old Testament, the work that the Israelites were trying to do, it couldn't perfect their conscience. And what that led to was this weariness and this tiredness. So that's the old covenant where basically they were trying to earn God's favor. They were trying to earn their salvation. So that's the old covenant, but then there's the new covenant, and what Jesus is offering us is the opportunity to stick with him, and then he works in us so that we want to work according to his purposes, which causes refreshment, vigor, pep. Pep is one of the words for what, it, what life can be like when we're in right relationship with him. So when we're caught in the hard stuff of life, which covenant are we operating in? The old one that leads to weariness or the new covenant which brings that refreshment that we need, that we desire? So I think, especially for people that struggle with like a habitual sin, something that's regularly recurring in their life, I think a lie of our enemy is that they feel like they can no longer cry out to God. That because of the cycle that they're caught in, like 
in some way they think like God's done with them. Like they cannot, he doesn't want to hear from them anymore. Like that they're, that he's done with them. And again, that just perpetuates the cycle. But the thing is, it says in the Old Testament, it says it in the New, God still wants us to cry out to him. He wants us to declare that he is the one who has the power to, to cause effect and change in our lives and, and to take us from a place of hardship and weariness and burnout and bring us to a place of life. But the thing is, he does want us to participate in that still. He wants us to cry out to him. And I think in some circumstances, like, it's as easy as just, like, in that moment of hardship, just to say, like, Jesus. Just to acknowledge that in this current place, like, maybe I don't have the words to articulate everything that I'm feeling and everything I need from you. But if we just say Jesus, then the scripture says when we draw near to him, he draws near to us. And he can be the one to reveal and, and help us understand the hardship that we're facing. And maybe he doesn't give all the detail, but he does give us the peace and the comfort of his presence. And then again, when we give our hardships or our sin, whatever that might be, over to him, he's the one who has the power that can do something about it. And yeah, just keep going back to him. And talking to him isn't complicated. You know, I think um, there's a, this thing called the Alpha Series, and I didn't think about this until this moment, so I hope I can clearly share it, but they interview this, like, vicar from England. He's this old guy, and, like, the, 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 the question is, how do I pray? And that's what they're addressing in this Alpha video. And he was like... It all, all it has to be is, um, uh, please, thank you, and something else. Like, so easy. Like he said, you know, even in the scriptures it says um, that some of the Jewish people at the time, like, they'd get up on the steps and they would do these, like, very intricate, articulate prayers. Like, prayers that they memorized and and all this, and it, it was Jesus, and he said, like, I don't want those kind of prayers. Like, they've got their answer in just being seen, you know, in the crowd, and he said, the kind of prayer I want is, you know, those, um, the quiet prayer, the time that it's just, like, kind of you and I, and it's special and intimate. So it doesn't have to be complicated. It can just be, this is what I need from you, and that's it, and that's all he needs. It's good. And Again, I think sometimes we think, you know, Jesus won't hear my prayer because I don't speak eloquently or don't know the theological terms and things like that. But, yeah, he just wants us to cry out to him. And so whether we're on the side of reconciled relationship with God, this idea of, of crying out to him, it never stops, like... We're supposed to continually be um, acknowledging God that, that he is God and that we are not and that in our weakness, he is strong and he is the one to do the power to do something about it. And, and I think for those who haven't yet said yes to Jesus, 
um, I don't know. I'm just sen sensing if, if there is somebody um, that's going to hear this that hasn't yet said yes to Jesus. Um, the good news is that he loves you and wants relationship with you. And I think that's even good news for those who have already said yes to Jesus. He loves us and he wants relationship with us. And he has done everything that needs to be done in order for us to have relationship with him. So, I, again, I think we make it about us, again, somehow. And it's really not about us. It's about him and the work that he accomplished on the cross for us. So when we're facing hardship, when we have maybe regular sin in our life that we're trying to move on from, just stick with Jesus. Just keep crying out to him. And one day you'll be surprised, you know, that the victory has come. And it, you know, it may be a huge, big thing, or it might just be subtle over time. And you look back and you think, wow, like, this thing used to rule me, and it no longer does. Like, I have found freedom. And that's what happens as we stick with Jesus. Would you join me in prayer? Oh, God. <laughs> I confess that I have been tempted to try to do things my own way. I've been tempted to um, ignore the laws of the land and, yeah, expedite things, make things happen faster when it comes to, to public coffee. And I, I've been tempted to say no when you are saying yes because of the unknowns, because of the uncertainty. And God, today I just want to declare that I am choosing to stick with you. God, even when the path seems to have a lot of fallen trees on it and just the work to get from point A to point B seems so hard and tiring. I'm going to choose to cry out to you and say, God, you need to work this out. Because that's what you promised. But I will, I will do what I can to serve you and to be your friend. God, I think of those who are suffering in sin. God, whether they have said yes to relationship with you yet or not, but God, that they would hear today that it, it, the work isn't on them to overcome their sin, but that the work to overcome sin was already accomplished on the cross. By you, Jesus. And God, when the temptation is to withdraw and hide, just as Adam and Eve did in the garden, God, that instead we will hold toward you. We will confess the sin. 
We will cling to you and let you work out within us to, for your good purposes. Because God, as much as we want anything in and of our relationship with you, you want it so much more. And you're the one who has the power to accomplish it in our lives. So God, I pray against trying to will up willpower to try to even like legalize sin and just keep crying out to you. Keep acknowledging what you did on the cross for us and claiming it for ourselves to have victory over any temptation and sin. God, you want to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, as we prayed before. And that is that we will look like aliens, your word tells us, on this earth. Because right now, this isn't our home. And so for those who don't yet know you, what we do and how we live will sometimes look weird. And God, I, I pray against conformity to this world, and I pray for conformity to the kingdom of God, where, Jesus, you are Lord, where your Holy Spirit is empowering us to live out everything that you have for us. Jesus, one of the main things that stood out to me as I was preparing this is that things may not make sense for us in the moment. But when we cling to you, your word tells us that all things work together for those who love you and are called according to your purposes. So God, would you take that truth in your scripture and would you hide it in our heart? So God, any time we have unknowns. We don't default to the ways of the world, but that we will acknowledge that all things work out for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Jesus, we're acknowledging today that we need you. And would your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, we're going to invite Haven and Evan up to uh, lead us in a couple songs as we close off worship this morning. Um, yeah, so would you continue in worship in any way that is comfortable for you? And um, yeah, if you are watching online, if you are watching online and we haven't yet connected, um, I think a, a Connect card has popped up in uh, the chat. Please fill that out. We want to get to know you. And if there is 
anything we can do to help you as the spirit is speaking and, and maybe helping something click or make sense or an awareness is coming and we can help you as you process that, please connect with us.
Thank you. Well, as we end worship this morning, uh, we're going to send out with the same benediction we do every week to remind ourselves that as we leave, we are the scattered church, and God has given his church a mission, um, and we take it with us as we go. So, Trav, if you want to get that up for us, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 16 to 21. From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin, that burden that I was talking about earlier, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And I hope you hear that. It's all on God. The work is all on God. And really what he asks us to do um, is so small in comparison to what he's done from us, for us. Yeah. So go this week just remembering that when you face hardship or temptation or acts of sin, just cry out to God. Amen. <laughs>